Well, last week, we dipped our toes um, into the work of the Holy Spirit. And this week, we might be able to dip a whole foot in. Now, there are whole doctrines, right, surrounding the work of the Holy Spirit and his work as the third person in the Trinity, but we will not be doing an exhaustive study this morning. Uh, you're welcome, Luke. <laughs> but we will be looking at his work through the lens of this week's text, and it's a wide-angle lens. The last two weeks' sermons, which might translate into a couple of hours, as it really happened, is the last conversation they'll have together before the cross. Jesus knows this, but the disciples don't even know what direction is up right now. The things their friend has told them in the past few hours has made the ministry feel like they went from walking on air or water to walking in knee-deep sand. More will be required of them, and they will need help. So when there are hard things to do, whether it's lifting, moving, holding, weeping, suffering, help is hard to imagine until it happens. I know when I ask my kids to help me with something hard, at first it might be, oh, I can't. Then I tell them, no, I'm gonna help you. And then their resistance lessens, but I still get, oh, it's gonna be too hard. Then we do the actual thing, and my help makes what seemed to be impossible, possible. Now the disciples do not understand how the helper works fully. They've seen him work, but they don't understand fully. They may be having thoughts of, I can't. It's going to be too hard. And what they are called to is actually impossible, apart from the helper. This helper, the Holy Spirit is who we will see this morning. Now I'm going to pray and ask that he leads us into all truth this morning as we seek to make God's glory known through the work of our Savior. Let's pray. Father, you are an amazing, perfect, holy Father. You love us with perfect love, demonstrated in the cross of your son. Jesus, you gave up everything for the sake of your bride. Everything that we may come to know you. And Holy Spirit, we pray now that you lead those truths. You lead the truth into the dark places of our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you carry the very words of our Savior into the places of our hearts and have them take root and have them grow and have your name be made known among the nations. Lord, we thank you so much for your glorious work. And Lord, we are excited and we anticipate, Holy Spirit, that you will work and move through us this morning. It's in your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So if you guys want to go ahead and open to your Bibles, we will be in John chapter 4b, the second part of 16.4, um, and going through verse 15. I love hearing the rustling of pages. That's cool stuff. I know it's probably going to be up there, but... All right, John 16.4. 
through 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because of the, world, the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will make, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So back in chapter 15, and the beginning of 16, Jesus says, despite all these things, trials and persecutions, you will bear witness to me, but not without the help of the Holy Spirit. The disciples were even told they'd be put out of the synagogues. And we saw Jesus tell them, and in this week's text, they will have the helper. In Mark 13, 11, we see another instance. He says, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. You see, we are ill-equipped to testify to the gospel of Jesus in times of trial without the work of the Holy Spirit. Even testifying to the name of Jesus in good times, right, requires a battle against the flesh. And I love how Jesus speaks to his disciples them through this section, how he speaks to them in these last moments. It's shepherdly. Paraphrasing what Jesus said, I did not tell you all this from the get-go. Now Jesus did tell his disciples and those around him, whoever wants to follow me must pick up their cross and follow me. But the realities of this had yet to be revealed in the heavy manner they do here in Jesus' final conversation with them. Now not that dying to self isn't hard as we interpret Mark 8.34, and 35, but being persecuted and hated for the sake of Jesus, that has glory to it. It has the weight of the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus had said to them, I do not, did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. All right, now kids, do you guys think your parents tell you everything? No? Okay, they do, maybe. Do you think you would understand it all if they did? Maybe not. Teenagers here might be like, I know what's up. I got this life thing cracked. 
Just kidding, I know you guys respect your parents' wisdom. <laughs> but now Jesus did not call his disciples and tell them everything at the beginning. They weren't ready. John Calvin said, at that time, therefore, they had no great need of confirmation. While they enjoyed leisure and freedom from persecution, but now he tells them that they must change their mode of life. And as now a new condition awaits them, he likewise exhorts them to prepare for a conflict. And not only were they not ready beforehand, but Jesus was with them at all times. If they got in trouble, they could just look at the Son of God and be like, uh, Jesus, the storm's getting kind of crazy. Do you want to help us here? But now, the one who controls the sea with his voice and sustains all of created the world, all the created world is leaving their side. No longer will he be within a physical earshot. No longer will be sharing meals together. No longer will he walk side by side with them. They will not be able to recline again with him until they drank anew with him in his kingdom. They have just received some heavy news of being hated and extreme persecution. As they walk through the streets, I can only imagine their faces and their hearts have dropped further than they ever have before. And it seems so much so, they are oblivious to the mission Jesus is on. Oblivious to the suffering Jesus has told them he will face. They seemed extremely concerned before themselves. None of them truly asked where he was going. In verse 5, Jesus says, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? However, we do see them ask where he's going earlier in John, when Peter asked back in chapter 13, Lord, where are you going? Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Thomas in chapter 14 said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? But they ask these things in relation to how it affects their lives. They want to know what's going to change on their end. Josh Redberg explains, Jesus is not demeaning their concern for the future, but he is lifting their eyes to look beyond their circumstances to something much greater. Jesus wants them to understand the bigness of the mission. And Jesus continues in verse 6, and is, as his compassion towards their capacities, or lack thereof, is in, uninterrupted. He says, but because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your hearts. I'm curious if Jesus saw a physical change in the disciples after he told them he was leaving or if he knew their thoughts because he was God. But either way, it seems the mood of the relationship has changed and sorrow has filled their hearts. Parents, when your children hear bad news or something is going on that's hard, you can see sorrow placed on them as if it is, they just picked up a heavy backpack. They change and they don't need to say a thing. Since the Last Supper, which was probably just a couple, hour ago, a couple hours ago in our text, Jesus has laid on them some pretty heavy stuff. He's leaving. He's going to send this helper. And he and they will be put out of the synagogues and killed. 
He even says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And we're going to get there shortly. But he continues in verse 7 and says, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, before I get to that amazing statement, I want to try and jump into the disciples' heads because I think we have all had similar moments. Not with this type of immensity or glory, but even at a lesser degree, we may be able to relate to them. When I had preached through chapter 13 and Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot come, right? We see in that instance, he was talking about the cross. And now it's possible he's talking about his ascension. But I spoke about the disciples having the greatest friend, the most fulfilling friendship to have ever experienced, and now that will no longer be. So the disciples are hearing this again, and sorrow has filled their hearts. I just wonder the battle that was going on in their hearts. How can it be better? But he's never lied to us before. What's life going to look like when the helper comes? I like to think the fight was to believe him, but sorrow was fighting back hard. All right, now I want to get back to that amazing life-altering statement from Jesus. It is to your advantage that I go away. How can it be to their advantage? He continues, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. There is a display of God's sovereignty in the sending and coming of the Holy Spirit. He is coming with the same purpose as the Son came with a purpose, as the Father came with a purpose as the Father has established all things with a purpose. The Helper will bring glory to the Son and the Father and illuminate hearts to the praise of God. Though the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is God, they have distinct qualities that more glorify their divinity. And many times the Father and the Son seem to be kind of the upfront, but the Spirit mediates humbly between one another. However, we know the Holy Spirit plays an equal role in accomplishing the will of God. He, the Holy Spirit, bears witness to the Son and enables mere mortals to bear witness to the work of our Savior to the glory of God. Jonathan Dodson brings to mind a poor reality to our worship and thinking he says, we dismiss the Spirit as a forgettable God, relying on our own effort, our reason and decision-making, and temptation. As we have seen, self-reliant legalism and spiritual license produce very unattractive disciples who fail to behold and become the image of Jesus. Jesus himself said, it is to your advantage I leave. It is better for the helper to be with you always. It is better that the Spirit of God is testifying continually to your hearts and through you to the hearts of all to those who are called according to his purpose. John Calvin comments on this one. He says, he had promised the Spirit to his disciples and now he praises the excellence of the gift from its effect because this Spirit will not only guide, support, and protect them in private, 
but will extend more widely his power and efficacy. And then here, in the next couple of verses, we see the specific tasks of truth that the Spirit has come to do, has done, and will do. Verses 8 through 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So let's uh, take a look at the conviction of sin first. Matthew Henry paints a picture of being shown your sin and what this is. He says, the spirit convinces of the fact of sin, that we have done so and so, and the fault of sin, that we have done ill in doing so, of the folly of sin, that we have acted, acted against right reason, and our true interest of the filth of sin, that by we, we become more odious to God, of the fountain of sin, the corrupt nature, and lastly, of the fruit of sin, that the end thereof is death. Okay, now I have a question for us and kids. So does anyone here get rid of a mess by hiding it? I'm guilty. <laughs> Actually, I don't try to uh, clean or messes or organize them. Um, I just try to rearrange things so I don't actually clean. I just kind of make it look like I cleaned. Um, kids, do you guys put everything away in your rooms or do you hide some of it? Okay. You put it somewhere where dad won't look. Um, I say dad because we know there's no hiding from moms. They can sense clutter from a 50-foot radius. <laughs> Well, the Holy Spirit, he exposes the mess and clutter of our hearts. There is nothing hidden from his sight. And as he does, he points to the righteousness and what righteousness, what it's supposed to look like. Perfect, spotless, without blemish or wrinkle. Jesus was righteousness in the flesh. He was the perfect display of the Father in character and action. The Son only does what the Father does. So as he leaves, the Spirit's going to continue to convict the world of righteousness. As we see in verse 8, the word convict has the goal of convincing a person to turn from their sin. Convict means to convince, to turn. And we see in the book of John and other gospel books Two kinds of righteousness. One that is apart from God, self-righteousness, and one that is from God. Last week we saw that self, what self-righteousness does and can do. Self-righteousness convinces we're good enough on our own. We know what's best. I decide how righteous I am and anyone that tells me otherwise is an enemy. Jesus was hated because he was the perfect imprint of righteousness. And it did not look anything like that of the Pharisees. 
His righteousness was a light that exposed the falseness of self-righteousness. The Holy Spirit continues to shine light into the dark places. He continues pointing to the righteousness of Christ and leads us into repentance. Because a righteousness apart from Christ leads to death. Because apart from Christ, as we saw in John 15, 5, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And as a result of the convicting of the world of sin and pointing to what perfect righteousness looks like, judgment is brought to the deceiver. When the Holy Spirit is sent, that means Jesus has been given all authority over heaven and earth. His supremacy was secured as he ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And the prince of this world has been disarmed, defeated, and is waiting for final judgment. Sin and death are awaiting final judgment, and the only promise they have is destruction. Now, as we move into the next section here, it's beginning to become more and more clear that these are Jesus's final instructions. And he is telling them the things they need to know for the events to come. However, there's more he needs to tell them, and it will be delivered through the power of the Holy Spirit. In 12 through 15 of chapter 16, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I had said that he will make what is mine and declare it to you. Now I'm going to have to confirm to any of my electrician friends here, but uh, wires and conduit are limited, right? There's a maximum amount of power that can travel through wires in order to move electricity one from one place to another. And there are different sizes that can hold different amounts of power. However, without them, power remains in place. Now the only person to communicate the power of God to human hearts is God, the Holy Spirit. He carries the work of the Son to human hearts. And without him, power remains in place, and he turns the lights on in dark hearts. And God the Father, by the Holy Spirit, has used, does use, and will use human vessels to deliver this good news. However, everything we have seen in chapter 15 can only be done when the helper comes. And not only John 15, right? But everything Jesus has taught. Everything in the Sermon on the Mount. All his parables. All his commands can only be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. The mission is supernatural. And so is the help that is needed. Jesus tells them in the verse 12, I say these things to you. You cannot bear them now, but when the spruce Truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Because the disciples are unable to do the things they are called to. They are unable to hear, even, all the things Jesus has to say. In and of themselves, they do not have what it takes to accomplish the mission that's in front of them. We do not have what it takes. But because of God's sovereign grace, we have been given the helper. We have been given the Holy Spirit to point us to Christ, to remind us of his words, to move what can't be moved, to sanctify what cannot be sanctified. One commentary states, the Spirit doesn't live in us so we can rest comfortably in doing nothing for the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit comes to us, disciples of Jesus, to empower us for a mission that cannot be accomplished apart from his supernatural help. The mission will happen. The sheep need their shepherd. The lost need to be found. The dead need to be brought to life. The light needs to shine in darkness. The commentator continued, the mission is worth giving up convenience and comforts, like safety, security, stability, to invest in something eternally profitable. In 1 Corinthians 2.12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We have been given the message of reconciliation, and we are the ambassadors of Christ. Though it is the Holy Spirit that convicts hearts and makes known the marvelous grace found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are his ambassadors. We go. The church is God's plan for the world's redemption. We are a part of the plan. Spurgeon says this of the helper, with his old English words. But my brethren, no man was ever saved by the means of grace apart from the Holy Spirit. You may hear the sermons of man whom God delighteth to honor. You may select from all your puritanical divines the writings of man whom God did bless with a double portion of his Holy Spirit. You may attend every meeting for prayer. You may turn over the leaves of this blessed book. But in all this, there is no life for the soul apart from the breath of the divine spirit. See, we go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Never do we go in our name. Never are we to seek our own glorification. The Spirit has been given to us to make Jesus' name known. The Spirit is always seeking to make the Father and the Son known. His work is to point to the work of the Father and the Son. The work of Jesus. He was crucified so that the enemies of God become the sons of God. The sin that separated us from the Heavenly Father has been abolished by the blood of Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit testifies to the power in the blood. The resurrection of Jesus has moved, removed the sting of death. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming 
to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the message the Holy Spirit testifies and bears witness to. Any other message than this, the Spirit exposes as false. In 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is why our church gathers, right? We want to see God glorified here, locally, and globally. But that can't happen apart from the vine. Apart from the Holy Spirit who binds us to the vine, who carries the very words from our eyes to our hearts, from our ears to our hearts. The Spirit is what enables the Word of God to take root into the reaches of our hearts. The Spirit enables us to pray and even prays for us. He brings us together in community, a bunch of sinners gathering together, loving one another, by submitting to one another, serving one another, and laying our lives down for one another, that cannot happen without the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. Disciples go out from community, right? Disciples are not made in isolation. Disciples are not made by the words of man. Disciples are made by the Holy Spirit inhabiting hearts to make known the name of Jesus, who is above all names and is the only way to God the Father. The Spirit testifies and communicates the Word of God. In Romans 10, 14 through 17, how then will they call on him whom they have never believed, have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Jesus obeys the Father in all that he does. The Spirit obeys the Son in all that he says. And the Father is known by the work of the Holy Spirit, removing the scales from blind eyes by the testimony of the cross. It is only by the work of the Holy Spirit testifying to the work of the Son on the cross that moves us from unbelief to belief. Our mess is hidden in Christ. It's by grace we have been saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, you sent your Son to this earth that while we were yet sinners, you, Christ died for us. That, Lord, we were enemies of you, separated by our sin. Lord, but you made a way. You made a way through the cross, through the blood of your Son, Lord, that we can now take part in the family of God. And Holy Spirit, you now are in us and you move us to testify to the glorious goodness of Jesus Christ, to the glory of the Father. Lord, you have given us this message of hope. Lord, may we, may I, 
go out into this hopeless world carrying the light of Jesus Christ. May we be lights to this dark, hurting world. Lord, would you enable us? Holy Spirit, you say that you will give us what we need, the words to say. Would we walk in obedience in the works that you have prepared beforehand? Thank you. It's in your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen.